Well, we've been um, looking as a church over the last uh, few weeks at the Sermon on the Mount, um, mountaintop wisdom, um, we've been calling it. Uh, and if you remember from the introduction a couple of weeks ago, we said, really, this is like Jesus's um, kingdom manifesto, what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God, what it means to be God's kingdom people. The kingdom of God, remember, is um, the ruling and reigning of God. It's God having his way. It's things being the way that God says they should be. So, you know, when um, Lucundo was talking earlier about healing and people being set free and from bondage, and you know, that's the kingdom of God. It's God having his way. It's things coming into line with the way God says things should be. Perfect peace. You know, we pray for God's kingdom to come in Nigeria this week because we're praying for his peace and not war and not violence and not hatred. But we're praying for love and justice and mercy and compassion. That's what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in this passage that we're taking a few weeks to look at together, gives us the, the longest kind of concentrated body of teaching that we've got in our Bibles about Jesus himself teaching on the kingdom of God. And one of the things we found already, this, this blessed people, because if you remember, it started with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. This, this blessed people, God's kingdom people, are not at all the kind of people that we might have expected. Jesus is turning things upside down. He's turning things on their head. And he's shocking his listeners and shocking us a bit with some of the standards that he's calling us to. And then last week, um, Kofo um, helped us to, to move on in chapter 5 and to look at loving like Jesus. Um, I wasn't around here last Sunday. I was in Wivenshaw, um, but I've caught up online. And just a reminder, if you do miss the message, you can always do that. You can go on our YouTube channel and you can catch up. Um, especially when we're going through a series like this, it's great, isn't it, to keep, you know, keep up with it and to keep reading through so that we're all doing this journey um, together. And one of the verses that Kofo read and commented on was Matthew 5 and verse 20. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, remember, it just means exactly the same thing as kingdom of God. So Jesus says, you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were known for being really into righteousness. But the kind of righteousness that they were into was following all the laws, all the rules, and all the regulations. So they kind of like, pretty much were known for making a bit of a show of keeping all the rules and regulations and telling everybody else all the little details of all the rules and regulations that they ought to keep too. And Jesus says, actually, I haven't come to do away with the law. I haven't come to say, actually, do you know what? I've come and I'm a bit more chilled out than my father. So from now on, you don't really have to worry about keeping up the standards. Go on, we'll all be okay. Grace, peace, we'll all be fine. Just, you know, live how you want to live. He says, no, 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 you've misunderstood if you think that's what I'm about. I've actually come to make you more righteous than the Pharisees. Because their righteousness actually hasn't turned out to be the kind of righteousness that I'm calling you to. Now, if you remember, Kofo then helped us 
to think about what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, where it says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, let's put two and two together for a moment. Hopefully make four. Um, Jesus is saying that all of the Old Testament, all the law and all the prophets, which is a way of summarizing the Old Testament scriptures, he's saying all of that, which the Pharisees have based all their laws and regulations and rules upon, he says all of these laws, all of these regulations, they can be summed up as loving God with everything that you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. So this righteousness that we're talking about that has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees is all about loving Loving God with everything you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. And then Kofo took us to John 13, 34. John 13, 34. I'm just showing off now that I really did watch a message, Kofo. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus in, in, in exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees, have taken us even beyond what was required under the law. Now we no longer just love our neighbor as ourselves, but we love as Jesus loved. A new command I give you. Well, actually, it's not a new command to love people. That was already the whole of the Old Testament was summed up as that. A new command I give you. Love as I have loved. Jesus has come to produce a better kind of righteousness, which is based on a better kind of love. Amen? And so, Kofa then took us through um, verses um, 21 to, uh, 30, to verse 30, which looked at specific examples around murder. Because um, what happens in the rest of chapter 5, after Jesus has said this stuff about exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees, he then says a number of times, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. Yeah. So he says, like, based on your understanding of the law, either because it's actually in the Bible or because it's the rules that you've developed based on that, he says, you've heard it's this way, but I'm telling you, I'm calling you to a better standard. I'm calling you to a different way of living. I'm calling you to a kingdom way of living. So, for example, we all know we're not supposed to murder. That's in the law. But Jesus says, even if you think bad thoughts about someone, it's as if you've murdered them already in your heart. So can you see how he calls you to a much higher standard? Under just keeping the law, as long as you didn't kill anyone, you're all right. But now... Jesus says, no, I'm interested in what kind of thoughts you've got, what kind of attitudes you've got, what's in your heart towards the people around you. Because the people of my kingdom, what's a kingdom? It's ruled by a king. So the people of my kingdom, they live the way I want them to live. They think the way I think. They love the way I love. 
And then it goes on to adultery. And he says, well, you've heard it said you, you shan't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, actually, you know, even if you have lustful thoughts, and we're not talking about someone having a thought that flits through their head for a moment, but we're talking about someone dwelling, thinking, fantasizing. And actually, you know, Kofo talked about that, um, you know, how it matters to God, um, how we keep love and particularly sexuality within the confines of covenant in marriage. And so I'm picking up where he left off, and Jesus continues from verse 31, um, and I'm going to read 31 until verse 48 today. Okay, Matthew 5, 31 to 48, and this is our main passage for today. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, just to give you some context on that, um, the reason he had the, under the law, the person had to give a certificate of divorce was to prove that that person was free to remarry. Now, particularly in the case of women in those ancient times, they would have been dependent for financial security and provision and income on being married. That's why it talks a lot about looking after widows and orphans in the Bible, because that was just the way society worked. Okay, so the reason if a husband got rid of his wife, which is basically what this is talking about here, if he decides, oh, I'm not interested anymore, you can go, I'll have, have myself a new wife, thank you very much. That's the reality of the kind of thing Moses was trying to deal with. This was the hard-heartedness of people that he was trying to deal with. And so he put protection in place. If you divorce your wife, you must at least give her a certificate of divorce so that she's free to remarry. Yeah, so that she can have provision in her life um, again. So that's what he's saying there. But Jesus carries on, carries on. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Once again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the oaths that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that they may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the righteous and the, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
I'll let you take that in while I have some water. These are not just random examples, um, a random list of, of kind of, you know, instructions. So while I'm thinking of it, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. But this is Jesus filling out for us how we love on a different level. How we allow our righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. So we're going to work through these different topics, divorce, truth, retaliation, and loving enemies. And we'll see what Jesus speaks to us about each of them, um, but also we'll see what he's saying to us in general about the way that we love as his people. You know, before I start, I want to say this. Jesus is the most incredibly gracious and compassionate person that you will ever meet. You can't outgrace Jesus. Yeah? If you're outgracing Jesus, then what you're offering isn't real grace. Yeah? Um, you can't be more compa compassionate and you can't be more loving. And this loving, compassionate, gracious Jesus nevertheless says there's a certain way you ought to live. Yeah? And so we're dealing with topics that, for some of us, because we're, we're broken people. We're people, we've all made mistakes. Anyone in this room never made a mistake in their life? Dami almost put his hand up. And then he realized that would be a mistake. Yeah, we've all made mistakes in different kinds of ways. And we come to Jesus with different things that have maybe gone wrong, decisions we've made. And maybe even since we gave our lives to Jesus, we've made decisions that we later came to realize I shouldn't have made that decision. So nothing I say this morning is to condemn anyone. Because Jesus is not here to condemn anyone. Yeah, he meets us where we are, but that doesn't stop him from saying, but here's how I long for you to live. Here's how I long for you to live as my people. I'm not here to make you feel guilty if you haven't been living that way so far, but I am here to offer you the opportunity to live the way I call you to live. So Jesus is not condemning the divorced here. As we've said, Jesus is full of compassion and grace towards the divorced, but he is unequivocally against divorce in and of itself. There's no way around it. It grieves the heart of God. The law made provision for when divorce happened. But Jesus calls for a kingdom people who will go beyond the letter of the law and pursue the heart of God. So he recognizes sexual unfaithfulness as grounds for divorce, just as Paul, in his writing later in the New Testament, will concede that a person is free from their marriage if they've been deserted by an unbelieving spouse. Because these are examples of significant violations, breaking of the marriage covenant. And there are certain limited situations where a marriage covenant, the binding agreement, the bond between a husband and wife has been broken by one party in the marriage. That might also include abuse. And in those cases, from our understanding of scripture, we believe it was effectively 
the offending party, for want of a better word, who ended the marriage by breaking that covenant. And the other person is free and no longer bound. They're free to remarry. So there are exceptions. But it does seem in Jesus' day, as now, people were divorcing far too easily when they tired of their marriages or when they fell for someone else. Let me read to you Matthew 19, where Jesus comes back to the same topic. Matthew 19, verse 3 to 9. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So you get the heart here, what was going on. I just want to get rid of my wife. I just want someone else. I'm tired, I'm fed up. You know, and it, obviously in our culture, this can go both ways. It could be a wife to husband, husband to wife. You know, it's just not what I thought it was going to be. It's just harder than I ever imagined. We've just drifted apart. We've grown cold towards one another. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. See, the heart of God is that marriages would express something of covenant, a binding agreement. You see, God always relates to people through covenant. God's love is covenant love. And so when he loves us, he doesn't love you in the sense of, well, you're pleasing me at the moment, so I'm in love with you. But if you make a mistake tomorrow, then I might go off you. If you keep letting me down and keep being unfaithful, then I'll probably just tire of you. I'll probably just say, no, it's kind of grown cold. There's a distance that's kind of come between us and we're not getting on anymore. But God doesn't love like that. God loves with a committed, unfailing, covenantal kinds of love that keeps loving and keeps loving and keeps loving. And we are not God. And yet he calls us to imitate something of this love, this covenant love. And that's what our marriages as Christians are supposed to speak to, to the world around us. This covenant kind of love that God calls us into. So much so that Paul, when he talks about marriage, and Jesus himself, they both kind of say, wow, this is a pretty tough calling really. Because the marriage is not about the gooey kind of fluffy kind of first Valentine's Day kind of love. A marriage hopefully includes lots of lovely Valentine's Days. Um, but a marriage is about a commitment. It speaks of a, a different kind of love. The way we live out covenant as Christians is really important. That's why the Bible is so clear about restricting sex to a marriage covenant. That's why adultery is such a big deal. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the section on divorce was preceded by
by Jesus talking about adultery. And following on from that is Jesus talking about absolute honesty. I wonder if we put those two bookends in place in our marriages. No adultery, no lust. Keeping our minds pure and focused on our marriage partner. And a commitment to absolute honesty and integrity. Not having any secrets and sharing everything with our marriage partner. Whether actually more of our marriages would flourish with those two bookends. Interesting. If you're struggling with your marriage, come and see us for help. Far too many people keep things hidden until it's too late. The number of times that people will come to us and say, I've come to let you know that we've unfortunately separated. Why? Why wait until then? We, I promise you, we are not going to condemn you. We're not here as pastors. Do you know, as pastors, we are not just here, not that we mind doing this, but we are not just here to sign your passport forms and your references for job applications. We don't mind doing it. Digiton days the other week. Um, we don't mind doing it, but that's not what we're called to. We're here to help you as you wrestle with the questions, what would God have me do? See, if your heart, it's not about us controlling you. You don't have to. You're under no obligation. But if your heart is, I want to live as God wants me to live. And if you're struggling, and you've already talked with Christians around, you've talked with mature brothers and sisters in the church, because we can all pastor one another. But we're here that when you're wrestling with a difficult situation, and it doesn't feel like it's turning out right, here's an appeal. Make us really busy. Make us really come to us and say, I'm wrestling with this. I need to understand what do the scriptures teach about this? I want to live my life the way God calls me to live. I want to live to a higher standard. I want to love to a higher standard. And this is really hard right now and I need to discern. And it's really tough and we need real practical help. Well, we want to walk with you on that journey. We promise to be sensitive and compassionate as we help you to discern what God is saying to you in your situation. Moving on then, truth and integrity. You know, the Old Testament law was really strong on not taking God's name in vain. So the Jewish people often held back from using God's name at all. And that's why, by the way, Matthew, who was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, tends to say the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus talks about people swearing by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or even by their own heads. And it was like they had this scale of how honest they were being, if you think about it. It's like, this isn't just normal talk. This is special, extra validated by taking an oath kind of talk. And the implication, if you think about it then, is you can't entirely trust me unless I swear an oath. Same thing in court, right? In modern day court, people are asked to put their hand on the Bible and to swear by Almighty God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In other words, she don't normally tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But Jesus says, we're called to live to a different standard. Absolute, complete honesty and integrity. That includes not spinning things 
a certain way because you know deep down if you spin them that way, someone will believe a more positive, favorable version of events. Or, you know that thing when you do, um, well, technically, it's not a lie. Because technically, no, no, technical rubbish. If someone believes something that isn't true, and that's what you wanted them to believe, you've just lied to them. However cleverly you dressed it up so that it sounded like, you know, when they come back and say, you lied to me, well, actually, no. On a point of detail, I didn't because they don't go away thinking, oh, do you know what, you're right. They go away thinking, no, you lied to me. We're called to absolute integrity and honesty out of love. Out of love. Now, I'm not saying you have to tell everyone everything. And maybe sometimes we just need to be more at ease with saying, I don't feel able to talk about that right now. I don't feel able, I don't feel comfortable talking about that right now. But let's own a passionate commitment. No bending the truth. No putting a spin to cover up details. Absolute honesty and integrity. That's what Jesus calls his followers to. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if someone asks you a question, you say yes, then that's it. It's yes. I started late. Don't start the music yet. <laughs> Coffee, did you start that music? Because last week you were begging people not to start the music. Retaliation, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. <laughs> an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth was part of the Old Testament law. It was designed to enforce as well as limit retribution for crimes and other offenses. But once again, Jesus calls us to a higher kingdom standard. You know, when Jesus talks about someone slapping you on the right cheek, it's a bit of detail there, isn't it? Why is he, why is he bothered to mention that? Well, he's probably implying, because if someone who is right-handed slaps you on the right cheek, then they use the back of their hand. And in that culture, a backhanded slap was like a high, kind of highly offensive insult to someone, to slap them with the back of your hand. Okay? So when someone offends you, when someone insults you, there's probably not that many of us get slapped every day of our lives. But probably lots of us come against insults and offense um, and people disrespecting us. It says, turn the other cheek. Rather than retaliate with insults and offensive behavior yourself. You know, the people of Jesus, they commonly wore two main garments an undershirt and an outer robe. And their outer robe was um, often like, especially for a poorer person, would be like their blanket as well. Um, it was like their shelter in, in a sense. It was, their, um, it was such an important part of, um, you know, their, God's provision for them. Um, and so Jesus says, if someone is mean enough to even sue you for your inner garment, perhaps because of some debt, that you've been unable to pay. You should go ahead and give them your outer garment too. Let them take everything. It might well cause them to show some compassion 
when they realize that they've taken everything that you have. But it's certainly better than retaliation. First century Palestine was occupied by the Romans. And of course, the Jewish people really resented the way they made them suffer. Do you know, under Roman law, a Roman soldier had the right to ask any person in the land to carry their stuff for them for one mile. And it was limited to one mile. They could only make them carry it for one mile. And Jesus says, if these Romans, who, by the way, his listeners all hate, because they're like the occupying force and they resent them, if those awful Romans try and make you walk one mile, actually, you know, turn it around and say, I'll go two for you. It's challenging, isn't it? I mean, it sounds all very kind of poetic in the Bible, but then imagine an actual occupying force in your land that you resent, that you feel anger and possibly hatred towards. And Jesus says, no, I want to turn all of that around. I want to turn it on its head because you are called to love differently. He says his kingdom people should walk two miles rather than resort to violent retaliation. There were a group of Jews known as the Zealots who wanted to use violence to overthrow the Romans. Jesus says, no, I'm not calling you to resist with violence. God's people are to love to such a high standard that they are to put others first and that they are willing to give up their rights, which brings us to loving our enemies. Again, the Jewish people listening to Jesus may well have found themselves thinking about the Romans. They probably saw their neighbors when he said, love your neighbor. They probably saw them as their fellow Jews. They knew they were supposed to love each other within the Jewish community. But Jesus tells them to go beyond that and to love others as well. Our enemies can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And before you think, well, I don't really have any enemies, ask yourself, is there anyone who treats you badly? Perhaps they've lied about you or misrepresented you. Perhaps they've cheated you or taken advantage of you. Perhaps they've sinned against you in some other kind of way. Or perhaps like the Jews, you've developed a certain mistrust or dislike or disease around a certain people group. Maybe they've oppressed your people group. In reality, we all encounter enemies in one way or another. However much we try to spiritualize it. People who oppose us, people who mistreat us. And Jesus calls us to love those people. Because that's what he did. That's what he did perfectly. He loved us who opposed him. He loved us who rejected him. He loved us who spat in his face. He loved us who hurled insults at him. We were enemies of God. And he loved us. Because you see, Jesus perfectly reveals who God is. Perfectly reveals who God is. He's the perfect revelation of how God loves. He perfectly reveals this different kind of love and righteousness to us. And then he says, now you go and do the same. Be perfect as your father is perfect. Don't just follow the rules. Don't just look at what you can get away with. But let me so change your heart 
that I revolutionize because you're a person, because you're a kingdom person, because you're part of the community of the king, a kingdom community of God's people, because you're part of that, because that's where you belong. That's your identity. Let me change the way you live. So you no longer just keep the minimum standards of this Western society around us, which quite frankly is not doing great on its morals. But we live from a different place. We live to a different order. We live ruled by a king, King Jesus, whose righteousness, whose love exceeds anything that law could ever accomplish. Would we allow him to change our hearts? Would we long to be part of this kingdom? Whatever mistakes we've made, whatever bad decisions we've made, he's not here to wipe us out, but he is here to say, let me change your heart. Give yourself passionately. And that's, I believe, God's appeal to us today. Would you live with a passion for God's kingdom, not just in the circumstances you see around you, but beginning in your own heart with the way you love God and the way you love others. Summed up perhaps at this crescendo at the end of this passage in chapter 5 as even love your enemies. Let us love in a way that is radical and countercultural, that turns everything on its head. Because God's kingdom people are a people of perfect love. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come as we close by singing together. This song that we've sung a couple of times recently, uh, the second verse says, Jesus, the expression of God's love. Jesus, the expression of God's love. And he calls us to make him famous. He calls us to love the way he loves. So what a-